0: The following recording is from the
1: Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au.
0: Today, we're actually going to have a couple of people um, speak. And they're going to speak for kind of 10, 15 minutes. Um, and we're kind of calling this kind of tag team preaching. Um, and we just want to give opportunity for people who are starting out on their leadership journey and who feel God stirring in their heart and are calling to perhaps speak or have a, a, a speaking ministry, whatever that might be, whether it's in the context of mission or in a local church or sharing their testimony or whatever it might be. And so we want to give them opportunity to develop and grow and, and be supported in that and want to believe in them and invest into that and give them opportunity to do that um, and, and see if, if God is doing a work and that calling is legitimate and real and if so we want to kind of speak into that and and invest into that for their future. So with that in mind, we've got a a couple of people uh, who are going to do that this morning. The first is Mariella, and she's going to come and speak, and then after that, Anuj is going to come and speak this morning. So why don't you welcome Mariella and really encourage them this morning.
1: Thank you. Good morning. That didn't make me nervous at all. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Um, First of all, I just wanted to thank the worship team, Um, wherever you are. You're scattered. Where are you? That was beautiful. Thank you so much for doing that for us. Did anybody else want to say thank you? Because they came here real early and they were practicing real hard and they gave their all so that we could be led into God's presence. Yeah, That was amazing. Thank you very much. And also thank you to the leadership of the church for believing in, in us and, and allowing us this opportunity to share, to speak, to lead the congregation. It's, it's really a blessing. It really is. Thank you so much for everyone that believes in us. And hopefully I'm legit, okay? (laughs) That word freaked me out, guys. (laughs) All right, so um, I'm Mariella. I've been coming to PCC for almost two years now in October. Pretty exciting. And yeah, woo, thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) Now, I was going to tell you a story, a little funny story about a bike park, but I've changed my mind because I'd rather give you a praise report. Yeah, woohoo, go the press report. So last night I was home alone with my kids. My um, husband went out to a friend's 40th and I stayed home as a responsible leader to do my preparation. <laughs> no, and um, I had to put the kids in bed. Anybody got kids? This is a task that um, is really hard, right? I've got four. So um, I managed real well. And I thought, great. And especially that one kid that gives me a really hard time, which is actually surprisingly my eldest. And I went and 10 minutes later, I'm like, they're all quiet. Yes, thank you, Jesus. But then I started to hear a little bit of a sob and a cry. And I thought, oh, no, (laughs) one of them's sick. So I walked over and it was my eldest. And I said, baby, are you okay? And she's like, oh, mom, I am so okay. I'm like, you're crying. (laughs) Anyway, I'm like, are you sick? What's wrong? She said, mom. I was praying for you. It's like, oh, thanks. She's like, I was praying for you. But then Jesus spoke to my heart. And he started to tell me about my condition and that he's going to heal me. It's like, wow. And then he told me to keep going with my dreams for him. You know, she wants to be a dancer. And she's like, he told me to keep going because it's worship to him. I thought, wow. And she's like, mom, and then he told me how much he loves me. And then she broke down crying again. Can I just say how amazing that is? Because I've told her, God's going to heal you. Jesus is going to heal you, baby. Keep dancing, baby. God loves you, baby. But it meant something completely different when it came from the very mouth of Jesus Christ. Into the depth of her soul, it spoke to her deep, deep, deep inside. Isn't that amazing? And I just wanted to give God praise for that. Because you can't fabricate that. You can't force that on someone's life. That has to come from God, right? So anyway, I just wanted to give praise to God for that. So that was my little story, (laughs) instead of the the bike park story, which was quite funny. Maybe I'll tell it later. Anyway, (laughs) all right. So if you guys have your Bibles, just turn to John 15. And uh, when Hilary first introduced this series that we're going into, which is remain, there it is, remain. So cool. Okay. Um, I got excited just because I like when we start new series, and I like it when they have cool names and words like "remain." Um, I'm just like that. I like words. I straight away I go to the thesaurus, and I'm like, what else can I? How else can I describe that word? Um, it's just me, anyway. So I did look it up just so I can get a visual of that. What does that look like in a person's life? So the visual is to stay, to abide, to continue on, to dwell, to hang in there, to be stable, to be fixed, to await, to stand. That pretty much sums the Christian life, sums it up, right? And that's pretty much what you feel like you're doing when you're a Christian. You're hanging in there <laughs> in hard times, you're continuing on, you're pressing forward. I thought, yeah, that's right. So then pretty much, if you're a Christian, you, you remain, right God? And then I was like, mm, how do I know I'm really remaining? How can I be sure that I remain? So I started to ask a couple of questions. Is it that I read my Bible every day? Is it that I'm at church all the time, and that I'm involved and I'm in the community, that I serve? Is that remaining? Is it that I'm a prayer warrior and I take everything to the throne room of God? Is that remaining? What, what, how do I know that I'm remaining? Is it enough? Does that tick the boxes? Did I meet the criteria of a remaining believer? doesn't sound like it's really that simple, does it? There's a little bit more to it than that, right? So, if you got your Bibles there, we'll read. I've got to get my Bible. <laughs> All right. So, John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Clearly, after reading that, there's more to it than just what I mentioned earlier, right? So there's a passage in the Bible in Luke eleven twenty-seven 27 to 28, and it's a moment where Jesus is pretty much dropping gold. He's speaking words of wisdom the people are just astonished. And then in the crowd somewhere, a lady yells out, She says, Blessed is the woman that bore you and the woman that breastfed you. I know that's a bit out there. Um, Jesus is so kind. He deals with stuff like that really well. And he said to her, More than that. Blessed are those that hear my word and keep it. And that's where I got the title for my message from More Than That. Because just like there, Jesus was leading this woman lovingly to a kind of like a higher consideration. I think that's what he's doing when he's talking about the vine and remaining in him. There's a higher consideration that we need to take into account. Yeah, let's pray. Okay. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you because seriously, where else would we want to be on a Sunday morning than having the opportunity to worship you, to use our voice, our hearts, our minds and all that we are and bring it before you and just give you glory and praise. You are worthy of it, Lord we thank you for everything that you've done in our lives and we thank you, Lord, that right now we get to look into your word and understand a little bit more about what it is to remain in you, what it's really about, that there's more than that, more than what we think, more than a checklist, more than meeting these requirements, there's more. And we, I pray, Father God, that you would open our eyes so that we would see what it is you truly want from us, God, what pleases you, God, that so we can live lives that really truly glorify you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, are you all with me? Cool, okay. So, Jesus is very clear in that passage that the reason we remain is to bear fruit, much fruit, because that gives God glory. Right, so when we'll come to this, there's two branches of thought about remaining. So if we read Matthew seven twenty-one to 27, I can read it out for you. I actually had a powerpoint with all these on there but that didn't work and now I haven't written them out for you I'm very sorry about that we might not read it so I'll just summarize it for you because it's a bit long now this is the story that Jesus tells about um, the disciples that come up to him and they say to him Jesus we did this for you we did that for you we did it all in your name They did amazing things. They prophesied. They did this. They cast out demons, blah, 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 blah. And then he says to them, the the, the master God says to them, I don't know you. Get away from me, you evil doers. Like what they had done was evil. I thought they did the right thing, right? This has got to be one of the most sobering scriptures in that Bible. It freaks me out. I just imagine it. I turn up on that beautiful, glorious day before the Father and there I am with my little packed up present. I'm good at wrapping presents. They always look amazing. I take pride in my present giving, okay? So <laughs> like, it's all wrapped up, neat and tied, It's got a beautiful bow and I stand before him and I'm like, here it is, my beautiful Christian life. And he's so kind. He just looks at it and goes, it's really nice. Where's the fruit? What a horrendous moment that would be to realize that I brought the wrong gift before the king. The wrong gift. That's that's a bit scary. Sorry to put a downer right now. But it's the sobering truth, right? That's not what he's looking for. He's not looking for a checklist of things. He's looking for the fruit. This is the branch of thinking that stems from the attitude that believes, I can offer certain things to God, my ethical goodness, my avoidance of deliberate sin, my faithfulness to the Bible and church, and therefore contribute to God's goodwill towards me. It's a little bit off, isn't it? Yeah, it sounds, mm, something's not right there. You know what happens if we take on this way of thinking, is that we could begin to somehow think that we deserve God's blessing. We earned that, right? Right? our identity as the child of God is entwined in our performance this could lead us to being harsh with others because we have a measuring stick by which we will measure them yeah we become overly sensitive and of criticism it's a direct attack and we become deeply insecure because we have a false sense of security our security is on what we do right so this also rolls out the red carpet for comparison. Yeah, oh, it's pretty dangerous. And the other one, the other branch of thought is Matthew twenty-five, fourteen to 30. And this is the story of the talents, right? So this is the story where the master's going away on holidays and he gives a couple of bags of gold or talents to his servants. Some of them get ten, some of them get a little bit less, a little bit less to the last one, he gets one bag, and now he goes off and when he comes back and he asks them for the talents, all, all of them but the one that had one bag had invested and made much, much more and given back to the master lots more than what he had given them. And this last one, he's like, oh, I knew you were kind of like, you know, cool and you wouldn't mind if I just sort of just held on to it for you. Um, he actually says here, The man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. So here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit With the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. This is the branch of thinking that stems from the attitude that believes nothing is required of me. Jesus has done it all. He loves me regardless of how I live and act. He wants me to be happy and to be me. All I need to do is have faith in Him and receive His grace, which saves me. There is some truth in there, isn't there? Can you hear it? There is truth in there. But we could begin to think that God's love for us is cheap. I don't know about you, but when someone does something for me, the first thing I feel is gratitude. And that gratitude is going to cause me to want to act in a certain way towards that person that did something for me, right? So... Sometimes it'll be a thank you. Sometimes it'll be a little bit deeper than that. And I'll tell them, you know, the other day when you did this, I was so thankful. It'll be a lot more expressive. Sometimes I'll give them a gift, right? But gratitude has to be shown in some way, right? It has to be. It can't just be nothing. That's not gratitude. That's me not being appreciative of what was done for me, right? So... There's a problem with both these branches. They're both ill. They're both a little bit deficient. Have you ever seen a tree with deficient branches? Yeah? Yeah. So I used to work at, um, what's that place called? Flower Power. So I've worked at a couple of places. <laughs> Flower Power. I am not a green thumb. <laughs> Don't worry. I am not. I'm terrible. I had to actually leave because there was too many spiders. It was... <laughs> scary. Anyway, and uh, you can literally bring a leaf from your tree from home, give it to the people at Flower Power, they take one look at it and go, oh yeah, your tree's got blah, 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 all these scientific names, blah, 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 and you need this, this, this and this to fix it. One little leaf. That's amazing, right? Anyway, these two branches actually have the same illness, the same deficiency, although they look completely different. One is doing all this stuff, the other one's doing Nothing. They've both got the same sickness at heart and it's that they actually don't understand, perceive the master. They don't get his heart. They don't get his thoughts. They don't get his desires. They just don't understand him. That's all it is. Just not understanding the father, the gardener, the vineyard owner. So my big question to us today, and I want us to reflect on it, is what is The vineyard owner, the gardener that Jesus is talking about. What is he truly looking for? What is that fruit that he's after? Right? So, we're going to read Isaiah 5 1 to 5. And this is the song of the vineyard. Now, when Jesus spoke in John to his disciples about the vineyard, their ears would have pricked up immediately. You know why? Because that vineyard was imagery that was used to describe ancient Israel. And so they would have grown up as little boys reciting prayers about the vineyard. So when they started to hear Jesus talking about the vineyard, they would have been like, wait a minute, this is serious. This is deep. He's going to make a big point out of this. For us, vineyards. I mean, unless you're really into vineyards and Shiraz and Moscato and all that does not count here, guys, Um, you would have just gone, oh, that's a nice metaphor. This was more than a metaphor. This was directly speaking about God's plan, God's intent for Israel, for them. And now Jesus was speaking about it. So their ears would have been really attentive to what he was saying. And so we find it in Isaiah 5. I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it up and cleared it of of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out the winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard, What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I look for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? They would have known quite quickly where he was going with this. They knew the history of their vineyard. They knew that Israel had failed. And they knew what he was going to be looking for. (coughs) Sirens are going off. My preaching is on fire. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Had to be said. (laughs) All right. So in Isaiah 5, 7, he's, (laughs) you can laugh. It's all right. Let loose. All right. So, (laughs) oh gosh, that's recorded. All right. So it says in verse 7, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. In Micah 6.8, he says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. How beautiful is that? How can it be that all of that was summed up in that? Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. You can do the checklist and not do this. It's so easy. You could come here day in, day out. You could proclaim that you are a believer and not have the fruit within your life that the owner is looking for. Right? Right? If we read John 13:34 to 35, it says, "We, we pretty much are very um, fond of this, and we, and we know it really well. A new command I give you: Love one another. Look around, look at each other. Take 10 seconds. Have a good look around this room. There's so many lives in here. So many stories. So many things that go on week and week out. Love one another. As I have loved you. Take a moment to look at what Christ has done. As I have loved you, so you must love one another by this not by your church going not by your Bible reading not by your living out your grace and your freedom to do whatever you want none of those things but by loving each other as the way that Christ has loved you that's how everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, this can only be achieved through Jesus. He is the true vine. He had to draw their attention and say, it's no longer about Israel. It's no longer about a nation. It's about me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Isn't that amazing? Now the responsibility has shifted from a whole nation to every individual. We choose. We choose to be the ones in, the, we choose to be the branches in his vineyard. That's our choice to make. And we also choose to produce the fruit that he's after, right? We can only do that in Jesus. We can't do that in our own strength because we either tip to one side or to the other. That's what we do. It's a natural inclination. So if we can only produce this fruit through Jesus, that's the only way it's going to be pleasing to God. And glorify him. You know, people can do great things in the world. That section there where it says in John, you can do nothing outside of me. Oh, Jesus, there's people doing lots of good stuff out there. You know? But the thing is, it's not for God. It isn't. It's for their own, sometimes for their own glory. To get accolades. But this you do for Jesus, through him and for him. So we are grafted into his vine when we first acknowledge him as Lord and then we remain. We remain in order to bear fruit. I don't know how you received this message and I know it's not an uplifting, let's go people, but it's a real place. And if we can take this on, we're going to show the world what, it, what God's heart truly looks like. If you're a receiver of the love of Christ, if you've seen what he did for you and you received that into your life, you are now carrying that within you. And through acts of justice and love of like, mercy, you can show the world what that cross actually means. Right? So I just wanted to pray for us. And as we do, I just wanted us to reflect that if there's possibly an area in us that, you know, we kind of lean to one side or lean to the other, that we could just simply say sorry. It's that easy. It's not hard at all. It's not It's not um, a judgment on us. Every day we have the opportunity to say, oh, I'm sorry about that, Lord. Help me. Isn't that good? He's that good. And um, sometimes we need a little bit of pruning. And this morning might just be that morning, that little bit of pruning. And that's good because when you prune a branch, it has more strength than it did before and more ability to produce greater fruit. So let's just ask Jesus now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you open our eyes so that we can understand you, that we can see your heart. God, today as we talk about the vineyard and we have a look at what you said, I pray, Lord, that it would have its, that it would do its work in us. Your word says that when you send your word out, it goes out and it does what you sent it to do and it comes back and it gives you glory. And I pray for each and every single heart and mind here today that we would receive this, that we would allow you, God, not me and my words, but your Holy Spirit, to do the work that you've sent this word to do. I pray, Father, that we would be honest before you because if we truly want to do the Great Commission, this is something we need to deal with. We need to be authentic, real believers, real real branches that bear the real fruit that gives you real glory. God, I pray for each and every person here that you would bless them and guide them and protect them in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you, church. Thank you.
2: Morning, church. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name's Nodge. <clears throat> am, I've been at this church for about 21 years. I um, <laughs> practically born in the church. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a privilege to be uh, sharing with the word of God with you today. Um, you're going to have to excuse me for my voice. Uh, first time in about like, four years I've been actually sick and I lost my voice. But praise God I got a little bit, so hopefully that lasts for, for today. Um, the passage we're going to be reading today comes from Hebrews uh, chapter 12. Uh, verses 1 to 3. It's going to be on your screens as well. And so it says, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross Scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray, Father God, as we um, delve into your Word again today. Lord God, I just pray that um, you'd help us uh, to, to see what your your Word is teaching us. Uh, Lord God, I pray that you would uh, help us to see, Lord God, this is not just someone speaking and saying things, but Lord God, this is your very words. Um, and I pray that as I speak, Lord God, would you guard my words, um, Lord, that I may honour you and glorify you um, today as, as we speak in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if um, some of you probably don't know me that well, but if you do know, know me, one thing you might know is there's something that I really, really hate, and that's shopping. Maybe that's why I'm still single, I don't know. Um, I absolutely hate shopping, all Right. And I remember sometimes I was a kid and um, I, I, my mum would be like, oh yeah, we're going to go shopping to buy you black shoes for school. And I'm like, yeah, sweet. Buy, buy me something. And, but I'd always stop. I, I grew smart and I stopped and I was like, wait, wait, is it just the shoes or is it other things as well, right? Because I don't want to spend too much time there. And sometimes she'd be like, no, 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 just the shoes. You've got to go in and get out and do something. i like, oh, sweet. So I'd jump in the car and we'd be driving down to Westfield and get out. And I know where the shoe store is, right? So we'd be walking there and then I'd oh no, it's just one moment. Okay, what, what my, my, my shoe store's over there. And she stopped and she's seen something. Oh, I, I, yeah, I think I don't really need this. And we'd be walking and she'd be like, oh, yeah, that's right. We need to get this as well. And sometimes we'd be at the shops for an hour. Oh, horrible. An hour before we get to, even get to the shoe store. And it's just like, what happened to just only being about the shoes? But I think sometimes, what's the point of the story? I think sometimes our Christian lives are a little bit like this. In the sense that we know we 're called to glorify God, we know we 're called to run the race of perseverance, but we get distracted, we see things and sometimes those good things sometimes things that in this case we need, um, sometimes of those good things like you know relationships or work or, or money, but sometimes they become we become so focused in that that we we lose focus of where we 're actually supposed to be going um, and so today I think the the passage in Hebrews is really going to call us and, and, and direct us to, to not be like that to be people that that um, are, are like a bullet to the target almost, not a balloon swayed. I'm sure you've heard that analogy before, like a bullet to the target. So let's jump in. Um, in verse 1 there, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. What the heck is that? What's a great cloud of witnesses? Um, in the previous chapter in Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews has actually spent time going through a whole list of forefathers um, in, in the uh, for the, the, these people would have known that People who chose to to believe in what God had promised and believe in what God had said rather than believe in what they can see, the things here and now. And so examples were like Abraham. He believed that God was going to give him a, 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 a people, um, as much as the, the stars in the sky, so to speak, um, even when God called him to, to kill Isaac, his only son. Or Noah, who was um, built, called to build an ark even when there was no sign of rain and people were ridiculing him. These people have all um, shown... Um, showing it all put it forward as examples of people who trusted God and not what they saw. Um, so that's the context, that's the background of what he's, he's saying. Um, and then the writer goes on to say that we need to lay aside the sin that entangles us. We need to, 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 to put away, I guess, the, the anxieties and the, the things of the world that slow us down and to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I think it's important to note there as well that the writer uses the word perseverance um, it's not going to be a bed of roses. I think it completely dispels any notion that the Christian life is just all airy-fairy and, and great stuff. It's not. I'm sure all of you guys would know it's, it's tough sometimes. You, you go through hardships, you go through struggles, and that's why I use the word persevere, because you need to persevere. Um, and if we, if we look in, in chapter 11, uh, chapter 11 verse 13, there's an example there where, it, where the writer says that some of these people even died without seeing the fulfillment of the promises that God gave them but they just saw it at a distance. They, they saw, yes, it's coming, and that was it. And you know, the, sometimes we're not going to necessarily see um, the, the, the glory or the, the exact thing that God's promised in our lives, but we've got to trust God by faith that we will one day see what he's doing through our hardships, see what he's doing through our struggles. And so for, for us as Christians, I think that's really important for us to remember, that we've got to persevere. Um, what I love about this is that the, the writer of Hebrews doesn't just kind of say, all right, just do this. Um, just do it and 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 you'll be right. You know, have you ever tried to tell someone who's struggling with anxiety and say, Yeah, just, just don't worry about it, mate, you'll be right. No, you, you don't say that, right? You've got to give them a way of how to do that. Um and the writer of Hebrews, he does that, he says, look to Jesus. So he's gone and he said, There's the great cloud of witnesses in chapter 11, but Jesus is now portrayed as the ultimate witness, the ultimate hero of faith here. And he's saying, Look to Jesus as our example. And so in verse two where it says, <clears throat> "Sorry, um, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's three things I want to pick out there, three aspects of it, I guess, that will help us um, understand what it means to look to Jesus. The first thing is that Jesus is the pioneer of faith. What does that mean? So if you're reading from an old NIV, it might say author. ESV, I think, says founder. But ultimately, what it means is that Jesus is, is not just a God who just says, Yeah, do this, just, just do it. He's the God who's actually walked the path before us. He's pioneered the ground, He's shown us what it means to live um, and to walk when, when we um, face struggles and, and, and temptations. Uh, we see even in verse 3, it says that exactly. It says, Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the Jesus that was spat on, the Jesus that was crucified and whipped. This is the Jesus that came down to die for his own creation. And he's shown us how when things are hard, when we are struggling with sin and we're struggling with temptation and we're struggling with, with things in, in, in this world, Jesus shows us how to walk the, the walk, through the road of faith perfectly. He doesn't ever waver. He doesn't ever give in to sin. He doesn't ever um, choose to, to believe the here and now and, and to reject what God has said. And so I think for us, the important thing that we remember with that is that when we feel like we don't have the strength or the faith to trust God in the hardest of times, we can look to Jesus, we can look at how he walked this earth, how he lived when he was here 2,000 odd years ago, and, it's, and, and, and use that as our strength and as our motivator. The second thing um, that I think that that verse shows us is the idea that Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. The idea of being the perfecter is he's the one that that brings our faith to completion. Um, In Ephesians 2.8, it says that faith is a gift from God, it's not by our own works. Um, And then here it's saying that you know Jesus is the perfecter of our faith, which means for us that when we struggle with doubt, when we sit and think, oh, can I actually overcome this sin? Can I actually overcome this struggle or this tough temptation? we can look to Jesus and say it's not our work, it's not our own efforts that sustains our faith, it's the, the faithfulness of Jesus in our lives. And so how does he do this? He, he does this through a number of ways. He uh, does this through the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, through our time in the word. He does this largely through our community of believers. You know, we come together as brothers and sisters in our connect groups or at church and we say, hey, I'm struggling with this. And we encourage one another and we run together, we pick each other up. You know, he uses so many different mediums. But ultimately, he's, he's, he's the one that sustains the faith there. The third thing um, to, that I think is important to highlight there is that it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. For me, this is my, this is probably my favorite one to be honest. If I'm completely honest, because being seated at the right hand of God, it signifies power. It signifies authority. It signifies um, honor. You know, Jesus wasn't just a, a martyr who died and he's buried in Jerusalem somewhere. He's he's a victorious king. We we sang about it today. Seated on high, the undefeated one. He's been defeated. He's defeated sin and death. He's undefeated. He's uh, the, the the victory. Um, the, the winning king in this battle. Um, and so for us, again, when we are struggling with anxiety, when we're struggling with sin, we can know that Jesus has actually defeated that already. That habitual sin of gambling or alcohol, whatever it may be, Jesus actually sits in the seat of victory over that sin. There is hope. There is. It's not just an endless cycle of, of sin and, um, and defeat. We, we actually serve a God who's actually defeated all of that sin and, and death. And so ultimately... If Jesus is our creator, He's our the creator of our faith, He's the sustainer of our faith, He's seated at the right hand of God. We we need to remember that, yes, He's He's victorious over the little sin, but He's victorious over all sin, all death. You know, praise God. We serve a God who, who didn't just come down and, and say, Okay, here I've done the work and then go go on. I'm gonna be distant from now. No, he says He's gonna come back. And this is the hope that we cling to. One day Jesus is gonna come back. And he's going to restore this earth to what it should have been before the fall. He's going to restore, he's going to take away all the sins, he's going to take away all the anxiety, all this weight that slows us down, so to speak. And we're going to, we're going to experience pureness and, and fullness of joy in that time, living with him in the new heavens and the new earth. They're going to, he's going to wipe away every tear. One day we're going to get to him and he's going to say, Well done, my good and faithful servant and how much better it is to hear that than the than the compliments of people and, and, and man on this earth here and now and i think that 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 being our hope it's, it's, it's also seen in the passage as well with with jesus where it says that for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its sin and the, the sorry, scorning its shame sorry and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god it's it's this idea that jesus he, he was he was crucified he was nailed he was whipped and all of that but he saw that one day the multitudes will be restored to right relationship with the Father, and that gave him joy. And one day he saw you and I being able to worship God directly, not having to go through through human priests or with blood sacrifices. We could go directly to God and being restored in right relationship. And that gave him joy. And so when he chose to to not come down from that cross, when he chose to stay there, it wasn't it, it, it was it wasn't for any other reason other than for our joy and for our, our um, the salvation that he saw, because that gave him joy in the end, and so I think for us, when we we call to resist sin and to. Um to, to, to lay aside these weights, as the writer says. It's not for self-denial's sake. We don't just do it because we want to be nice little Christians who obey. We have a greater joy, just like Jesus had a greater joy. We have a greater joy. One day, God's going to come back. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to restore this earth. This, this life we live now is just temporary. It's just a, 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 a drop in the ocean of time, so to speak. And so, church, I really want to encourage us to fix our eyes on the end goal. Fix our eyes on the end result. Know that Jesus is actually already victorious. He's the fear of sin and death, and one day we're gonna we're gonna experience that to its fullest. One day we're not gonna experience the brokenness of the world. We're not gonna experience the, the temptations and anxieties of the world. One day we're gonna be um, restored to right relationship with God completely, without any sin or temptation. I want to finish with an example. Um, you guys may know I love my my football. I'm, I'm crazy about my Sydney Roosters and. Fortunately, we're out of the finals, which is a bit of a sore point still. Um, but sometimes, you know, I love them. I want to watch every single game I can, but sometimes I'm out and I can't. And I put it on record and uh, I'll come home later to watch. But by that time, you know, sometimes my mate sent me a message or something happens and I know that the Roosters have won. right? And I still watch the game because I'm a, I'm a faithful supporter. Um, and I'll sit down and I'll watch. But it's interesting that in that moment, no matter what happens in the game... I'm unmoved. I, I know the end result. It could be three minutes to go, and the opposition could be ahead by 10 points, and it's like, what the heck is going on? But I'm just kind of like, oh, I want to know how we win, because I already know the end result. And I think it's the same here. We face struggles, we face temptations, but we know the end result. One day, sin and death is, is going to be gone. It's going to be a distant memory. We know the end result, and so I want really to encourage us, church, to persevere even through the hard times, through the struggles, through the temptations, persevere, knowing that one day all this temporary stuff here and now—it's—it's going to be gone, and one day Jesus is going to come back. He's going to restore creation, and He's going to—we're going to live with Him for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. And that should give us joy and hope through all situations. Let's pray, Father God, Lord, we want to be people that look to a, a greater joy, people that look to an eternal joy, Lord God. We struggle with, with sin, we struggle with temptations, and we struggle with pain and heartache right now. But Lord God, one day you're going to come back. One day, Lord God, you're going to restore all of creation, Lord God, and what a glorious day that would be. And I pray, Father God, that we will be people who remain faithful to you, Lord, that we will continue to run this race with perseverance, looking to Jesus Lord, the one who's gone before us, the one who's given us the example and is now seated in the seat of victory at the right hand of the Father. I pray that that would give us hope, that would give us joy, that we will never give up, we will never turn away, Lord God. Let us just continually run and pursue you, Lord God, knowing that you are our God, you sustain our faith, you are the one that's going to bring our faith to completion in the end. Father, we thank you, Lord God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Hey, why don't we thank them? That was great. Well done. Well done. All right. Well, hopefully you can stick around and have a cup of coffee. But if you have to go, then God bless you. Have a great week. Really take time to kind of think about uh, what Mariella and, and Anuj were talking about. essentially the same thing. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus and what he wants from us. And if you want to simplify that, that's just to be more like Him. And so let's keep working, not in our strength, not in our own ability, because Jesus reminds us we can't do it. To rest in Him, and in the Holy Spirit's work in our lives.